Welcome to Chosen Conversations. This is our last episode about season one. And it is in season one that we are introduced to Mary and her relationship with Jesus. And that's where we want to start tonight with Mary. Haley, introduce us to Mary. Thanks, John Mark. So Mary is personally one of my favorite characters that we see in The Chosen. And as you stated, we don't see her that much in season one. We will see her further as the show progresses, but we do see her in some very important scenes. And we know that she was a very special individual in the life of Jesus as she is the mother of Jesus. So we see Mary frantically looking for Jesus in a caravan and she expected him to be with family friends. And so she really wasn't thinking that he was in any harm, but she realizes that she can't find Jesus. And sure enough, where was Jesus? Jesus was at the temple and he was preaching and teaching. And what's so special about this is he was only a child, a very young child. And in that moment, we see the earthly mother of Jesus looking for him, frantically worried about him. And he comes to Mary and is like, mom, why are you worried about me? And he basically told his mother, it's time for me to teach and preach and spread the gospel. And she's like, it's not time yet. You're just a child. And so that's a great prelude into what we're going to talk about next, the wedding episode where we see Jesus and his mother at a wedding in Cana. And so John Mark, would you like to intro us into a little bit more about the wedding? Well, thank you, Haley. Yeah, I think the the transition is really important to hear that when Mary's when Jesus says to Mary as a 12-year-old child, if not now, when? That at the wedding, those are the words Mary uses to talk to Jesus, if not now, when? Which gives us this sense that Mary understands that this moment is an appropriate and good moment for Jesus to publicly display to publicly announce through a miracle of wine the newness of the kingdom of God, because new wine is going to be created here. And this is the new wine of the kingdom of God. And Jesus recognizes and submits to Mary, you might say, and says, okay, we'll do this. And that public event has a lot of things going on in it that are really interesting. Uh, Stan, what are some of the things that are happening at wedding that you found interesting? Well, one one thing before we get there that you guys just made me think of as I was listening to both of you is the mutual respect of that same phrase from a 12-year-old to his mom. And then I guess 18 years later from a mom back to him. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't sassing. It wasn't talking back. They they are mutually respecting each other in that situation, that those two situations are very different, and yet they're similar, that they, they involve Jesus as the focal point, a 12-year-old that's able to talk with the teachers uh, in, the, in the temple, and then a 30-year-old approximately that is now getting ready to launch his earthly mission. And I think what struck me the most, John Mark, was the way they portrayed that scene. It was, um, I think I heard Haley say it well, it was a heavy moment for Jesus. He, w- he had some trepidation about doing it, yet when Mary says, if not now, when, he doesn't just say, okay, mom, you know, I'll do it. He instead lifts his eyes. 
I interpret it as a silent prayer. And you can almost kind of hear him saying to the father, are we doing this? Is now the time? I mean, once we do this, it has begun. You know, it's, there's not going to be a turning back. So do I have your approval? And you see a big smile come on Jesus's face. And then, you know, he's dismissed everybody else from the room. So it's just him and the father. And then you realize the water is now wine. And in this episode, Stan, we also are introduced to Thomas, who plays a big part, according to the episode on, on this miracle, not in the sense of performing the miracle, but of why it happened. How did we get there? Well, we don't get much context from the Bible, but we get it from the show and their creative imagination that they portray. We see Thomas as a merchant with Rhema, and we see them from the beginning arguing if the three jugs they have are going to be enough. We see him saying, maybe we should get another one and saying, I, I would pay for it. You know, they can afford it, but I'm going to pay for it. And then they get there and they see the, the, the audience, they see the guests, and they were supposed to have 40 and they have 80. And so clearly they're, they're now knowing it's not going to be enough. What are we going to do? Are we going to salt the food so they can drink more water? Are we going to water down the wine? That's not going to look good. And then we finally get to the point, according to the show in the first night, that they run out of wine. They run out of wine. And how does it feel for someone that that's your job? That's where you do the math to calculate. You don't want everyone to run out. How do you feel now at that point that you're out? And yeah, it may not be your fault, but you're the one in charge and you're out. And so we are introduced to Thomas in a way that he sees something that cannot believe. Jesus tells him to, to fill the waters to the rim with water. Thomas is like, we need wine, not water. Right. And, and many times we, we do that. Many times Jesus tells us, do this. And I'm like, well, but I don't need that. I need this. And then he's the one that can turn what he's telling you to do into what you need. You just don't see it yet at that point. So I think it's beautiful how we're introduced to Thomas in this episode and the role he kind of plays behind the scenes of how we get to this big miracle and this heavy moment. And I just love it how the chosen portrays it for us. Well, David, you, you really did something for me right there, too, um, which is why this is so great recording these, you know, live in the moment. We're not all rehearsed. You said something about the backstory of the stress, right? What are we going to do? Are we going to cut the wine? How are we going to extend it? Are these people going to notice? Are they drunk enough that they won't be able to tell? You know, all that stuff that we, from being human, would put ourselves in the same situation would probably think through, right? And that makes the Bible text jump off the page even more when the members, the host of the party says, huh, you saved the best for last. Usually people serve the best first. And so in other words, all their stress and worry about everything David just shared with us, Jesus produces something that's better than anything they've had all night. Right. And Stan, what's special about that is that Jesus had a personal connection with the bride and groom at this wedding and a little bit of a backstory there. Jesus's mother is best friends with the mother of the bride and they really wanted this wedding to go well. And, you know, Jesus's mother asked him to perform this miracle kind of as a favor to her and kind of as a, Hey, can you please do this for me? Remember all the things I've done for you. And I think that's special as well. The backstory and how the chosen, you know, uses these miracles, these great events to bring in the followers of Jesus. Like we saw Matthew, um, you know, witnessing the miracle with the fish in the boat. And now we see Thomas uh, firsthand witnessing the water turning to wine and um, bringing them to follow Jesus. So that's very special. Uh, we're, we're introduced to Thomas as a character who is 
critical, questioning, rational. He's not going to put up with, um, you know, show. He's got to get this done. He's got to do it right. And he's not going to take any fantasies on board, right? He's going to analyze everything and figure it out. Like a good accountant, right, David? He's going to figure it out exactly what he needs. and Trust but verify. It's what we say in accounting. Trust but verify. Okay, very good. So, And Jesus said, I don't rebuke you for questioning. It's good to question. And so we, we have it set up for the character of Thomas to be this rational person who's always going to uh, be on the borders, you might say, critiquing or thinking about, is this believable? Can I really buy into this? And when the resurrection comes, of course, Thomas is going to be that one who says, I won't believe that until I see it which he couldn't deny with the wine. He saw the wine. He has that picture of him standing over the wine after it's been drawn out some for the guests. And he's just standing there looking at it like, what happened? (laughs) This just can't be, you know, this just can't be. And he wants me to follow him as he speaks to, to Rayma. How does Rayma figure into this? Rayma, um, you know, is, is with Thomas and witnesses the miracle as we talked about, and it sparks her interest as well. And we're actually going to see more of her and her journey in, in season two and just her conflict of choosing to follow Jesus and um, how that can affect her relationship with her father. Um, but it kind of reminds me of Matthew choosing to um, follow Jesus and um, the conflict that he had with that as well. Yeah, that's good. Thomas has one kind of conflict with his head, right? And Rayma has a different kind of conflict with her heart, with her family. And can she break with her family? And that, But that comes in season two. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The struggle that you can see in, in both of them, how following Jesus may not always be that easiest choice. Uh, but with what they have seen and what they know now, it's just, it's just what they got to do. I mean, how can you turn against that? And how can you deny something that you've seen and that you've been there? I thought one of the best things about that whole wedding episode was just the way it was pictured, Mm. the way it was given to us as a Jewish wedding. What what are some of the things that struck you about the Jewish wedding that what did you see in that episode that gave you a sense of, oh, we're entering into real world here with Jesus? Well, one thing I saw, John Mark, as a former bride that got married not too long ago was just even in that time period, they were so worried about everything being perfect and mm. the families of, of the groom, the bride and groom, you know, everything, all the planning, all the worry, even we see Mary just scurrying around the day of the wedding, trying to make sure everything is just perfect. That's very relatable that the anxieties and stresses that we face, they also faced in their everyday life. Um, something else that stood out to me was we see Jesus fellowshipping with his followers. He brought them to the wedding. Um, to be a part of the intimate wedding that we know was a very close relationship with Jesus and his family. Um, And so it was really neat just to see them have a good time, to laugh, to dance and enjoy themselves. And it does show us that, hey, they were normal people just like us. It shows Jesus out of the out of the church. Sorry, I was going to say it shows Jesus out of the church in the real world, how he's just fellowship with his fellow followers, with his fellow friends. And how sometimes we don't see that. And sometimes we see it in the building where that's where we're church members. That's where we're Christians. That's where we fellowship together. But how do we do that 
outside of that place in other events, not a wedding, not, not just a wedding, but in other places. Sometimes we can miss that. But I just think it's beautiful what Haley's saying, how, how it shows that. Yeah, agreed. I, I think it's beautiful what you're both saying. And, and to John Mark's comment about, you know, what did the wedding scene portray? I think it portrayed a lot of things. Um, it showed us a Jewish celebration. You know, it wasn't a quick thing. It wasn't like going down to the justice of the peace and just getting married. This was, this was not a hurry up for the ceremony and we rush off to our honeymoon. This was a family event and a celebration. And Mary even showed up a day early, if I remember correctly. She had gone to get the preparations going. They were building all of the things over the grape arbor or whatever was going on. They were doing a whole bunch of manual labor to have everything right, like Haley was talking about. And then as John, Mark, and David were talking, it made me think of something else that The Chosen has done that I didn't see until tonight, and that is for the biblical apostle characters that we don't have a calling story for. We don't have a drop your nets and follow me. This is the calling of Thomas through the wedding. Whether or not Thomas had anything to do with wine and was a wine vendor or not, we don't know. But what they've done is they've created how Jesus made the connection with him. And as Haley has said, how Thomas and Rama end up saying, maybe that he saved our business. He kept us from being embarrassed. We're going to follow this guy. And so he called them through their business connected to a family wedding. Yeah, so that's Thomas is chosen, right? So right. that's kind of the whole point about the, the show is to give us those examples of chosen, a businessman chosen, right? That's a different occupation than the fisherman and the tax collector, which we haven't got to just yet. But I think also what I enjoyed about the wedding scene was the diversity of Jesus interacting. He's playing with the children, and, and the disciples are kind of like, why? Are you? I mean, it's almost like, why is Jesus doing that? I mean, he's got more important things to do than to play with the children. I, I also felt I also got the humor of Jesus in this show. You know, I, I can't I I can't even help Andrew with his dancing. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of a, a joke. It's a piece of humor that I think is revealing of, of the humanity of Jesus. Not that he really couldn't. He could help Andrew if he wanted to. But it was a joke. Uh, a piece of humor and the humor about, uh, well, we got to test this with Andrew, right? We, what does he look like when he's dancing? So what's the problem here? And you see the tenderness with his mother and you see the joy of the celebration. And as Stan mentioned earlier, you see the seriousness of his ministry when he's standing over those jars and looking up to heaven and dips his hand in. And I loved the overlay of Thaddeus in that moment. Remember, mm -hmm. Thaddeus is talking about how he's a stone cutter. And a stone cutter, once you cut into the stone, you can't take it back. Once you cut into the stone, it's a done deal. Whatever you did is done, right? And so when Jesus puts his hands into the wine and it's done, something radical has just happened. And that would be Jesus' first public miracle. It is fair game now. You remember Peter even comes up and says, okay, we're ready now. We got, we got fish. We got wine. Let's get this done. <laughs> uh, and he's all fired up. And that's kind of how you picture Peter in, in the stories of the New Testament. And Jesus just calmly says, I hope so. 
I'm going to go with you to the ends of the earth. I said, I hope so, son. And that's, that's another serious moment there. But the significance of the public miracle means, okay, other people are going to know about Jesus. And they're going to start thinking about who Jesus is. And this is where we start seeing opposition to Jesus. And who is it that opposes Jesus? The Pharisees. Yeah. The Pharisees, the scribes, the the teachers of the law. uh, There's various titles for them, Sadducees. But, um, you know, you made me think, John Mark, about how, like you said, word travels fast. This, this isn't going to be something that's going to stay quiet. This is going to spread like a brush fire that uh, somebody has turned water into wine. That's not something you hear every day. And it's a sign. It's a sign. And we, we see that word used in the gospel a lot about a sign. And that's something that yeah. only the maker of the universe can do is to change an element like water into something else. Yeah, I remember the guy in, at the paralytic, I mean, at the uh, James's uh, Zebedee's house says, Hey, can you do that to my well? <laughs> you know, so I like the way we have humor in the story because I think a lot of people, when they're reading the Bible, they're, they don't have a sense of humor. Right. They don't have a sense of joy. They, they, sometimes they read the Bible like it's a burden. Sometimes they read the Bible like it's all just kind of reverential seriousness and you, and you can't see the joy in these moments. But that wedding was a joyous moment. So, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's John Mark, it's very difficult to personalize the scripture when you're just reading it to visualize an actual wedding event or visualize people's personalities and humor, laughing, joy, sadness, all of the things that the chosen is able to bring us to the screen and help us to um, put a, a personalization to these characters. Yeah, I think what you're describing, both of you, is it's almost like a emotional vacuum. You say in the in the Bible, this this religious almost textbook that you're reading, there's a wedding. Oh, yeah. But if it's in the Bible, it's a wedding that's, you know, very straight and proper. Nobody's having any fun. Nobody's smiling. That's not right. It's it's in the Bible telling you about a time in human history that something actually happened. And we can relate to those things because we still have them now and we know how they go. And so it's not a it's not a vacuum. It's not an emotionless text. Uh, We just unfortunately read it that way a lot of times. And word spreads fast. And on the way back, what happens? Someone comes to him knowing who he is now that a public miracle has happened. And in this case, he's a leper that comes close to him. Uh, the disciples are like, Jesus, be careful. You stay away. Don't don't get too close. Right. And Jesus is like, it's OK. I got it. And mm-hmm. so he heals the leper. And, and we see from the chosen, the story that they've created, that that's how the people later at Zebedee's house, know about Jesus and bring the paralytic man while he's teaching with yeah. crowds. And then that becomes like a, a, a second bigger, even public miracle, how more people are there seeing it. Right. And that creates even more opposition, John Mark. Yes. And I think it's really interesting how the chosen is portraying the opposition. Because Pharisees, a lot of times we think Pharisees are all just kind of one stripe. I mean, they're all the same. And we tend to have a very negative view of Pharisees because we think they're all the same. But actually, Pharisees are a very complicated group with a lot of their own diversity. They even have big arguments about school of Hillel, the school of Shammai. 
that there are there's a, quite a bit of diversity. And what we see in Chosen in this first season is we see one Pharisee, Nicodemus, who we've talked about in an earlier episode, who is willing to investigate and be open and to listen and to even embrace to some extent, but in a very private way. But he's willing to investigate and be open to what's going on there. But then we have another Pharisee called Shemu, who by the last episode of season one is intent on investigating false prophecy. And he's going to go to Jerusalem and start an investigation of Jesus. Nicodemus's investigation was private and was sincerely seeking what the truth was here, sincerely seeking the possibilities of who Jesus is. Whereas Shemuel says the law is God. It's already defined for him. He's already got God in a box. And God cannot do anything else but what Shemuel understands the Torah to mean. We got two very different personalities there, two very different sorts of Pharisees. And that's an important lesson for us, I think, um, because we can put God in a box and limit God by our interpretations and create investigations of others. You know, we're going to find the false teacher. We're going to critique the preacher. We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to make sure we get this guy in a corner and show him what's up. Right. As opposed to Nicodemus who listens and dialogues and is open to what God might be doing. Two different kind of Pharisees are pictured in season one. And I think sometimes in today's world, we can open our Bible and start reading with two different approaches, just like you're saying. Am I reading the Bible today with a sincere approach because I'm trying to grow and learn and, and, and pray about it so I can learn and grow from God? Or am I opening my Bible today to point out false prophets and tell them, hey, read this, read, this, read that. Yeah. So that that different approach kind of also talks to us. I mean, I love what you were saying. I didn't think about that before, how in the show you see it, but also you can see it today and you got to be careful how how you how you're doing it yourself. Right. right. Do you read the Bible to prove somebody wrong or do you read the Bible to encounter the living God? Right. You know, John you Mark. Oh, I'm sorry, John Mark. I okay. love the example that we see in Nicodemus versus the other Pharisees in this show, because Nicodemus is who we should strive to be like open-minded, accepting, eager to learn, not limiting God or putting him in a box. I just think of how many times in our lives do we say, well, that's impossible. That could never happen. But we know that all things are possible with the power of God. And David and I talk about that all the time in our life and not limiting God, not putting him in a box. And I think that kind of correlates with the water turning to wine miracle and how Thomas struggled with accepting the unbelievable. And I think the Pharisees overall just struggle with things that in their mind are completely unbelievable and cannot happen. Have I expressed to you guys how I love uh, your beautiful minds and how they work? I, I'm sitting here <laughs> listening to you and I'm thinking about, we could maybe repackage it or rephrase it this way. There are those who the Bible is God the actual words, and then there are those that the Bible points them to God. And it seems right. that Nicodemus is using Scripture to say, wait a second, this is, this is that. What he's doing lines up with what I know from Scripture and what the Word tells me. And the, the other Pharisees, Shemuel and company, 
are kind of doing the opposite. They're kind of trying to say, no, 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 the Bible, of course, I wouldn't have called it that necessarily, that Scripture would restrict, and it would keep people on the, on the very, very narrow. But the creator of the universe, once you've been pointed to him, things like turning water into wine is a possibility. But if you are coming from the side of the, the word ends up restricting what people can do, mm-hmm. then you're going to always be defensive about what cannot be. And it sounds like that's exactly what you guys were just articulating. I think we see that in the healing of the paralytic, the way the chosen tells this story, we get to see both sides of that. Nicodemus watches that and is just awed and shocked and amazed and and is enticed. I got to know more about this. I got to talk to this guy. I I have to get close to him. I got to... I got to know who he is. Whereas Shemuel, who's standing at that window, as he tells even later in episode eight, and he's talking to Nicodemus and says, you know what went through my head? How can he forgive sins? Only God can do that. He was not awed by the miracle at all. The miracle just went right over his head, right? (laughs) What he's upset about is how he understands the law. And, and only God can forgive sin. And this guy forgave sin. Mm-hmm. Instead of drawing the right conclusion, that is, Jesus healed this person in order to demonstrate he has the authority to forgive sin. He went the other way. As soon as Jesus forgave sin, mm-hmm. he's a heretic. He's out. He can't be anything good. I got to investigate this. <laughs> it's wrong. So we see the two attitudes One is enthralled and amazed by the miracle and therefore seeks Jesus and seeks to understand, whereas Shemuel looks at the miracle and says, how come you think you're God? You know, I mean, (laughs) wants to argue the theology, wants to argue the, the text, right? Instead of being washed over with the with the amazement of this miracle. Agreed. You make me think of how. The centering fact ought to be that they all believe in Yahweh. They are all God-fearing people. And yet, instead of centering on that, they're, they're looking at their differences. They're looking at their, as you said earlier, John Mark, they're looking at their different views of interpretation, and they're letting that divide them, and then they're fighting about it. And literally, God is in their midst, in Jesus the Christ, and they're arguing about what God can or can't do based on their theologies and their interpretations, and yet no one's stopping and going, wait a minute, we all believe in the same God. We all believe in the same book. Maybe we should look for things that are in agreement rather than all these things that are in disagreement. So Nicodemus' response is curiosity and search. Shemuel's response is I got to hunker down on what I already believe and go with that. Yeah. And there might be just a little bit too of playing the corporate game. Like Shamul's trying to progress in the hierarchy of the Pharisees too, because mm-hmm. Nicodemus yeah. is the top guy. And now he's, well, now he's close to apostate because he's over here doing some stuff that Shamul doesn't think the teacher is as smart as he once thought he was. And so maybe Shamul is moving into a position to maybe assume that type of status within the Pharisee. So that might be playing into it as well. Yeah, that, that church politics, right? I mean, <laughs> we, we can know how that can go sometimes in church politics. 
Well, brothers and sisters, it's been great to be with you. Thank you for all the great insight tonight. Thank you very much. And we thank you for being with us. And let us conclude with a benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.